Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine On Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck, back as always here at Neck of the Woods Brewing Company. Dr. Frey, how are you making out so far this week? Doing great. We got our usual booth here at Neck of the Woods. I got my delicious series session IPA to start us off with. Uh, we have a great topic tonight regarding some hand wrist injuries to some of the uh, big stars of the NBA. What are you starting out with it tonight? I have myself a little bit of a porter. And uh, we brought in an expert to help us out with tonight, right? Who did you bring? So this is Dr. John Jennings, hand specialist at Reconstructive Orthopedics. It just so happens that there have been a, a few high-profile hand and wrist injuries, so figured he's our guy. John, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, thanks uh, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's an honor. It's a great podcast, and uh, excited to talk about some hand stuff today. As you said, I'm John Jennings. I'm one of the hand surgeons at Reconstructive Orthopedics. Uh, I trained, did most of my training in Philadelphia, Temple for residency uh, at, at Rothman uh, nearby for fellowship, and uh, have been here for a couple years now, and it's going great. All right. Is this your first time down here at Neck of the Woods? This is. This is my first time. Got a lager here and loving it so far. See what else is on the menu. Have you been in our Pittman office yet? I did, yeah. I, I was there for a while. It's a little bit, it was a little challenging just in terms of coordinating with our hand therapist and stuff like that. So just for one reason or another, it kind of worked out better to, to be down the street in Sewell. But yeah, I've been over here. So you're, you're familiar with the location, just have not yet been to Neck of the Woods. Yeah. Amazingly, you're sort of missing out, <laughs> missing out big time. So it was just by chance we had a, we had a topic planned and we thought it was a great idea to pull you in for tonight's episode. And then surely enough, news breaks yesterday regarding another Boston Celtics star that's going to be out for uh, the foreseeable future. But let's start with uh, what we had lined up from the beginning. Zion Williamson, uh, the phenom for the New Orleans Pelicans, 20 years old which just about everybody will tell you is most likely the future face of the NBA. Goes up for an offensive rebound. Uh, you can see him grabbing his hand. Um, yeah, he gets down on defense, plays a series, uh, but then ultimately subs himself out. You know, they, they confirmed that they did x-rays uh, on a Tuesday. I guess from what we were saying, it didn't show much or anything at all. The stars went out. Yeah, and they do a CT scan two days later. Sure enough, it shows what they've released as just a left ring finger fracture. Uh, not an easy injury for him, I'm assuming, given that he's left-handed, that's a shooting hand. Uh, but other than that, everything's been kind of kept under wraps there. Uh, we don't know much about the injury, but we thought there was nobody better to ask than what this could possibly be than you. Um, you saw the video, right? I did, yeah. I didn't see anything traumatic. I, I don't know. Same. I mean, it's pretty typical, you know, kind of going up a lot of hands up there at the same time. And as such, kind of leaves you out there to jammed finger sprains, those kind of things that, frankly, I mean, that must happen 50 times in a game and, sure. and everyone walks away just fine. Uh, obviously, this was just the right twist, force, whatever. Uh, and that, obviously, then there's been a lot of controversy about mm -hmm. Some, some action going on in yeah. the paint with him yeah. uh, and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, really, really kind of interesting sequence of events there that go, that goes on afterwards. And uh, as Dr. Frey said here, I, you know, this whole allegedly had these, uh, you know, yeah. they're really playing their cards tight to their chest in terms of what's going on with his finger. 
what makes you like what came up in that original x-ray or i guess in this case what didn't come up why was a ct scan needed i i don't honestly know it's just based on the fact that they have them out sort of indefinitely and and all these things it doesn't go with what we usually see you know there are small avulsion fractures and little kind of things that you can see with finger injuries most of those kind of things we let people keep playing it out maybe body tape and fingers or something like that at the worst um you know typical finger fractures that i'm cting uh are things like intra-articular displaced fractures where where we're talking about needing significant really fine-tuned surgical treatment for them and that to me makes a lot more sense in terms of what they're telling us for his recovery and prognosis and all that kind of stuff because that's not just a tough surgery that's a that's a really long road in terms of rehabilitation and and all that kind of stuff so that's interesting because when i first heard that you know they had ordered a ct and now he's out indefinitely the first thought that i had was that oh they probably didn't see anything on x-ray they got a ct and there's a subtle little fracture that they picked up but but you're you're telling an entirely different story um, you don't know this for sure. Obviously, you don't have access to his medical records, but it makes would make a lot more sense. It fits the narrative that you know they, that there was a fracture there. They saw it on X-ray, but they really wanted to confirm: is it intraarticular, or is it you know does it go into the joint, or does it not go into the joint? And you know, which obviously dramatically impacts uh, how they handle this, how they treat this, and, and potential outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I guess the you could ask the question of with a couple games left in the season, you know, what is indefinitely? And maybe they're just saying in the foreseeable future for any of these injuries, maybe it can't be, can't be back. And maybe it's not as bad as it sounds like it's becoming, but it's certainly a confusing series of events. I mean, from, at least from my perspective and just like everything else, I mean, for, for some of my training, I was behind the scenes with a lot of professional stuff and, you know, I could see what was being broadcast in the general news versus what was really going on with the treatment there. And, and you see ring finger fracture, et cetera, et cetera. It could, sometimes it's like totally not anything related to what's really going on with that, that right. person's hand, but definitely going to be a big, big impact on that team, you know. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? As of as of last night, the, the Pelicans were only a game and a half out of the final playoff spot, and we had touched on it in an earlier episode where that you know they've expanded the playoffs to ten teams uh, for a little play-in tournament. But being out indefinitely, I mean, they did lose last night to the Memphis Grizzlies and a team that they were actually chasing in the standings. So now that here we sit on May 11th, they're out two and a half games with only three to play. Doctor James, would you have to assume that this is pretty substantial that they would sit their star? When they actually were right there in the thick of things for a playoff spot, I would I would hope so that they're not yeah. you know overcalling it or keeping them out unnecessarily. Like I said, I'm a typical missed on X-ray, picked up on CT thing. You'd expect that to be sort of a small avulsion fracture, chip fracture, something like that. They must have either missed it on initial films and there's something substantial you know into the joint surface displacement something like that or we just have it wrong you know or right. there was stuff on the seat on the x-ray and it's not that it was missed but that they needed more information with a ct scan um who and, they knows? Didn't, and they didn't release any information until right. after the season. Yeah, who, who knows? And and uh, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. But I, I would have to believe that there's uh, something 
pretty significant going on there. They keep them out now. For the listeners out there, um, and I'll just be honest, probably myself included, you hear a, a finger fracture. Um, and it seems pretty cut and dry. It's just, it is what it is. But how many different types of fractures could this actually be? You know, are, are there different variations? Is, yeah. to, to me, I guess what I'm alluding to is, does he have one of the more substantial fractures? Yeah, it, it, to put it more uh, more broadly speaking, it's uh, for a hand surgeon, that would be the equivalent of literally just a report coming out saying that he has a, a body fracture. <laughs> uh, you know, there are, in the finger alone, we have metacarpals, proximal, middle, distal phalanx fractures, yeah. and inside of each one of those bones, there are mid-shaft fractures, intra-articular fractures, condylar fractures, fractures involving the joint surface impactions, ligament injuries on top of fractures, um, fractures due to ligaments pulling off bones. Uh, it, it, uh, it literally is more than I can list off here. And that is, I would have to believe, pretty intentionally vague <laughs> when they're releasing something called, you know, ring finger fracture. That almost, almost meaningless, actually. Yeah. And without any more information and you know, with with the the clip of the injury being what it was, we can't really even speculate because, like we said earlier, that the, the video didn't even seem that traumatic of an injury. Yeah, we see a lot of metacarpal fractures in athletes, stuff like that. I don't think that the injury mechanism fits that. Also, honestly, we've been really advancing a lot of the technology and how we fix metacarpal fractures, and for many of them, we're getting people back pretty quickly even with surgical fixation right. so uh, so you just said on the <clears throat> on the watch, you know watching the replay you know it didn't look anything too dramatic what are your thoughts on the the whole thing with the with, you know the gm uh D dave griffin kind of having having a hard time here maybe unloading on the league in a in, in a way which he subsequently was fined for um saying you know basically you haven't seen, seen these kind of like, sort of laxity in the in the call since since hackashack and and, and whatnot <laughs> um what are your thoughts on do you do you think that this particular fracture has anything to do with the fact that maybe they're not because zion's just such a you know a big dude that they're not calling it as tightly for him or do you think this is just one of those random things I mean, put yourself in this guy's shoes. You know, this is your your uh, money maker. This is your oh, yeah, star pissed. player. Yeah. He's watching this guy get beat up in the paint uh, all season long. Sure. And now he's out indefinitely when there are three games left. They're in contention. Uh, and this is just the wrong, you know, injury at the wrong time. To the wrong guy. But if you look at the the actual mechanism of injury and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like I said at the outset here, you see, you'd replay videos of rebounds going on all game long. And I don't think if I told someone off the street, which one caused the injury, yeah. I don't think that they would be able to say, oh yeah, there's the film of his finger breaking. You know, I think they'd say, ah, <laughs> oh, these all look like everyone's fingers are going up and, and getting nailed by the ball. You know, I, I think that his point is well taken regarding the general conduct around Zion in the paint, but for this injury, I, I don't think he can point fingers. Right. And that's what he, he seems to keep hinting at the fact that they've done everything possible throughout the season. He's mentioned that they've continuously sent game film to the NBA, to the officiating crews to watch out for the missed calls going on down low in the paint. 
but you know, he basically came out and said it was a uh, you know, direct quote here is that it, it was a it wasn't a striking force injury. It was it can't be a one time thing. This has been going on all year. My opinion would just be that I mean he's just he's been frustrated all year with the lack of calls, and then now was a perfect opportunity to kind of unload that frustration and be right. like. This has been happening all year, and now you just you know now the playoffs are going to be missing one of the biggest faces of the NBA. Yeah, um, but I don't even think his his claims are accurate. Yeah, unless unless he again has more information than we right. have about that fracture sure. or that injury, and perhaps this is something that right. they were managing something relatively benign that they were managing conservatively, and is a re-injury or you know something like that right. that's going on. And again, that play. I don't see much, but, you know, certainly understandable venting, I think, on his part. Yeah. Um, I mean, a guy averaging 27 points, seven rebounds, four assists. I mean, for them to just throw in the towel with three games left. Yeah. Um, yeah, clearly something's going on. Yeah, it's kind of shocking, and right. it makes you wonder, you know, is there more that we'll find out probably in the next coming weeks. That he had surgery and this right. and that. <laughs> no, that's seriously, right. that's where it's headed. That's right. And who knows? We, we don't know for sure, but if, if I'm a betting man, that's where it's headed. So the next one that came out uh, just yesterday over the weekend to Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, and I got to admit, as a lifelong Sixers <laughs> fan, I – I never want to see injury happen to anybody, but anytime I see the Celtics in turmoil, I, I kind of love it. Um, you know, a team that's been to the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the last four years here. Um, but they're going to be without Jalen Brown um, for the remainder of the year, playoffs included. And probably, you know, as we mentioned about Zion and, uh, you know, Jalen Brown is claimed to be one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Seems like he's been dealing with a wrist injury for X amount of time, but it was diagnosed over the weekend as a uh, scaphoid lunate uh, ligament tear. Yeah, this is another one that, <clears throat> again, we have a lot of speculation to do here, but is equally uh, essentially as confusing in terms of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. now, now, do you think this one is more is confusing in a sense that they haven't released a whole lot of information or more that they, these tend to be a little more just confusing type injuries. I guess both, you know, I, trying to trying to um, explain scapulonate ligament injuries in general is already a very high level confusing <laughs> uh, topic, I think, generally speaking. Right. And we could certainly get into some version of that if you'd like. But uh, the other thing, too, is it's way more complicated than that in that we treat these very differently based on the timing of the injury. And uh, it would seem that this may have been going on for quite some time, in which a case I personally, I don't know if I follow the sudden urgency to, to proceed with surgical treatment out of the blue here you right, know right before playoffs right before playoffs um unless he truly felt like he can't go on you know the the wrist pain is prohibiting for him to play at, at his level in which a case they say might as well get this done yeah. now and give you the best chance of getting back in fighting shape for next season because otherwise i mean these are injuries that are seen a lot in the nfl and mm -hmm. in other sports and frankly are a lot of times kind of like a play out the season and take care of it thing especially if it isn't something acute that was the first thought and now admittedly for me 
uh, hand and wrist is a is a weakness. But but that was the first thought that I had. Like, is there that much urgency to, to this particular injury that that you're gonna you know whatever two games before the playoffs say all right pull your, one of your best players out? Again, information is is golden here, and right. and we just don't have that. So an MRI showing an acute scapulonate ligament injury. So we're we're talking about it. Just, you know, it sounded like this has been going on for some time and, and all this stuff going on. But if it truly, if an MRI shows that maybe it was a sprain before and now he has an acute, meaning new, sort of less than two to three week old injury, there there is certainly evidence that uh, that is a ligament that can be repaired, you know, putting sutures in it and, and sticking it back down to bone versus reconstructed. And again, that's that in itself is sort of a complicated uh, and controversial topic. But that would be the only thing that would push me if I was the treating doctor, in other words, to saying, look, we ought to do this sooner than later. I think my two cents here would be not even from a medical standpoint um, would be that. I mean, the Celtics right now are riddled with injuries. They, they hold the seventh seed. And that's not even a substantial lead on the 10 seed. You know, they could easily just as fall out of playoff contention. Uh, but all all indications point that the NBA is going to return to a normal schedule, uh, which would have them starting back up in September with games kicking off in October. Do you think it's a possibility that the Celtics are just looking at it as you know we're we're not going to make any kind of substantial noise this season? Um, and since we have a quick turnaround, let's get this done ASAP and then just have him ready for October, which probably leads into my next question. Um, is, is that even enough time frame to go through the recovery? We're looking about five, six months. Totally agree with you. I think that that's probably what it actually boils down to, frankly, in either situation, yeah. is might as well get the, the, the ball rolling with definitive treatment of it. This is a really uh, difficult thing for for a high level athlete to deal with, though. You know, we we talk about this in hand surgery. A lot of the the speeches and talks and all this kind of stuff. The title of them is the problem with no good solution. <laughs> uh, there are many many ways to treat this, and all of them inevitably result in some degree of stiffness, loss of motion. Uh, what's happening with a scaphoid ligament injury is the scaphoid bone and the lunate bone are kind of not in their relationship. They're not linked to each other anymore. They're two really critical bones in the wrist. And even after surgical treatment, we see them kind of migrate back away from each other again long term, even in people who are treated appropriately. Uh, and even within the realm of surgery, there are easily right now 10 different kind of procedures that are being performed routinely by different surgeons in the area never a good sign never a good sign right if there was some particularly good way to deal with something nobody would be doing nine other ways to, to deal with that, that. Yeah. um and so uh you know this is this is a, a uphill battle we're talking about at least six to eight weeks usually of complete immobilization of the wrist and then getting it back in motion, getting weight bearing, that kind of stuff going usually by around three months or so. I think by six months, I would expect him to be certainly five months, certainly to be back. But I totally agree with you that if I'm making that decision, I want to give him as much runway as possible to work with. I got to tell you, I disagree, man. Like, 
I don't. I understand what you're saying, and I have to respect uh, your take on the, on the injury because you clearly know a lot more about this than I do. But in terms of of the the logic for doing it now, do you really think like, they they're in the playoffs, or they they are likely in the playoffs? And and once you're in, who knows what can happen? And granted, they're not the first seed or the second seed or the third seed, but but they're in the door. What's what would be better to miss? Would it be the the beginning of next season? where you have plenty of time to hopefully make up whatever difference and still make the playoffs next season or the playoffs this season where you know you have a chance even even though even though you're you're, you're not you know the best team in the east you still have a chance to make some noise you never know what's going to happen you're you're in the show you're, you're the door's open i don't know i i, I would be surprised unless i ha- i have to think i hope that it's more of the acute variety injury that you just described and that they feel like his chance for the best outcome so his chance for the uh the least impact on his career as a whole is to address it now as opposed to going through the playoffs hoping that you have a run and then doing it later and that you know in doing so potentially compromise the rest of his career i can't imagine i can't imagine that it's simply because they want to get a head start on next season I agree with you there, but as you say, you know, there are two factors that would certainly fly in the face of that, which is number one, it's an acute injury where uh, clearly there is a benefit to early surgical treatment, or uh, the second thing is he does not feel he can compete uh, with the injury that he has, you know, where he, you know, where he doesn't you know, feel like he can use it effectively. And so what is the point that you might as well get going with, with definitive treatment? In that scenario, yeah, of course, of course. And this was, I think it's non-shooting hand, right? It's his it's non-dominant hand. I, I think believe so. It's his left yeah. wrist and he's a righty. Dr. James, what, is, what does this procedure look like? So, I mean, essentially you have two bones, you have a ligament that's holding them, like as you said, like kind of where they should be. That ligament has torn. Uh, so are, are you just going in there to uh, reconstruct that ligament and pull them back where they should be? Yeah, this is, again, very, very, very complicated uh, to try and explain. Essentially, the biggest issue with this injury is that the wrist, it's very easy conceptually. If I asked anybody, just think about your wrist. I think most people in their mind think of like a hinge joint. You know, oh, it goes forward and backward. Great. And that's it. And then you start thinking, and wait a second, it kind of moves side to side a little bit too, and but I can also move it around. And the way that you're able to do all those things is because the wrist joint's actually really complicated. There are multiple rows of small bones, each which allow for a very fine nuanced motion. And when you start taking the links between those bones apart, you start getting motion that is abnormal. And that causes a couple things to happen. Number one, obviously, is pain. Number two is loss of motion because now you can't make those fine motions work for you. And then the last thing that we talk about, not as much in NBA players, more to like the common person off the street, is uh, a progressive pattern that then forms in the wrist where those bones moving abnormally kind of start moving towards an early arthritic pattern. We call it scaphalunate advanced collapse, which uh, is a whole mouthful and, and not in itself really important, but in, in, general, <laughs> in a general term. Uh, and then when you treat it, so when it's an acute injury, so this is the difference that we're talking about, 
an acute injury, you can, there's even, even there, there's a couple different things that were talked about. One is, as you say, you put, pull the, the bones back together either by, you know, putting wires in them to put them together or by getting a clamp on them and then literally just suturing that ligament together. We usually use more, it's, even though you sports guys think about ligaments like these big ACLs and this big white thing that's sticking out there floating important in the middle stuff. of the, important <laughs> stuff, yeah. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> um, last I checked, you can run without an right, ACL. Right, right, right. Um, so the uh, you know the lig- the scaphalunae ligament is really really a lot smaller, a lot less defined. You can certainly see it, you can you can handle it, but it's very hard to just stitch it up. Um, and the same problem though with the ACL, you know, it's sitting in joint fluid, not well vascularized, healing is an issue. So we typically, when we're doing an acute repair, we'll put a, an anchor in a screw in the bone that has sutures coming out of it and use that to kind of grab the ligament and pull it back down to where it, where it pulled off from. And now we're also, uh, there's minuscule space. <laughs> yeah. No, not being sarcastic. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. In a very small space. Yeah. And then uh, even after that, there are proprietary devices that, that are used, but basically we can put suture back across that too and, and sort of have that supporting the ligament as well by putting another anchor in the scaphoid bone or in the lunate bone, whichever one it's... An internal brace. An internal brace. Is the, again, that's proprietary, but yeah. yeah. And that's for acute injuries. The difference is when you get into things that are longer than a few weeks out, it, there's just no ligament to repair. And now we have to... Uh, figure out some way to reconstruct that and again that's by using suture device techniques uh, by there are people that are doing these anatomic front and back reconstructions by weaving your own ligaments in and out through the different bones to try to keep these relationships together but it gets very complicated very quickly and as we talked about before I mean there are really no great solutions to it when you, uh, when you perform one of these types of procedures in whatever one of the 10 different methods you use, c- could you touch on what the recovery process is like, how often you see them post-operatively, how frequently, sure. milestones that you're looking for week to week? Usually I'll see, uh, I'll see people back at two weeks, uh, take the stitches out. Uh, occasionally I'll use a pin to hold the scaphoid actually in its appropriate position by pinning it to the capitate, another one of the bones in the wrist. It kind of just helps offload the construct and, and keep things aligned, again, to prevent that scaphoid bone shifting out of place. Whether or not we use the pin, I'll see people back at six weeks. So that, that's about the time where we get that. Uh, pin out and start working on motion uh, between the six to eight week mark and we're really not going to start advancing their weight bearing and and uh, heavy activity until literally three months out from surgery uh, and studies going out to a year show a high percentage of people still have motion problems uh, even a year out from surgery uh, again a lot of scarring a lot of immobilization required early on for allowing ligaments to heal and that's usually in a cast or a brace basically full time for like I said at least six weeks and then you're still in it part of the time after that right typical return for for sport activity um shooting dribbling you know in this case yeah probably around the three month mark is is yeah uh, interestingly enough, his his own teammate Romeo Langford uh, had this in September 
and returned uh, mid-March. It put him about five and a half, six months. Yeah. Appropriate timeline? Yeah, just because you're allowed to start moving it around, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to play in the NBA, you know. I mean, like I said, the motion deficits are the hardest thing, and the rehab after this is big time. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're really cranking it up starting at three months. So, I mean, I would think that after about a month and a half, two months of therapy, you might be back in the game. And I I think that sounds basically right on track. One of the things we've been doing on uh, previous episodes, Dr. Jennings, is we kind of go on record, right? And we like to kind of give our opinion on the timeline. So we know Jalen's out indefinitely um, having seizures. So he's definitely done this season. Do we see him opening night in October? This surgery slated for later this week, I believe, right, Doctor Frey? Sounds right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Again, there's a lot of there's a lot of could go this way, could Mm -hmm. go that way, and there's also a lot we don't know. I mean, is this a reconstruction or an acute repair? Uh, And there, these are factors obviously that weigh in. So uh, I think it'd be reasonable to get him back. It's just about how he kind of battles through the recovery process. Mainly because I don't know any better. I'm going to agree with Dr. Jennings. I'm going to say, yeah, he's back in October. Just to be an a-hole, I'm going to disagree <laughs> with Dr. Jennings. <laughs> no, I have no idea, honestly. His, his, his guess is far better than mine, and I'm just going to agree. Yeah. Right. I, wa- I want to talk about one other story that, yeah. uh, that, that I read about the other day, which I think is pretty extraordinary. And it's, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have, it's not our specialty. But uh, have you guys heard about this story about a guy named Drew Robinson uh, minor league ball player, currently a minor league ball player for the San Francisco Giants. I have, yeah. Okay. I have as well. So, quick little bit of background on, on, on this particular guy. Drafted in, I think, two, 2017, I think it was the Diamondbacks. Um, drafted pretty high, fourth round. Um, you know, worked his way up through the minors. Um, had, a, had a few stints in the majors. Reasonably well at times. Maybe, maybe cooled off a little bit. And uh, had kind of bounced back and forth between the majors and AAA ball club. COVID strikes, you know, COVID starts, you know, around this time last year. And um, uh, sadly, unfortunately, this guy is, is dealing with depression and, and, and just like so many others in, in this, this period of time, it sort of becomes, it sort of starts to ravage people a little bit. Unfortunately, this guy attempted suicide and he t- took, took a gun, put it to his temple, right hand, put it to his right temple and pulled the trigger one night in, in April of last year and didn't kill himself, um, but actually blew out his right eyeball. Um, shockingly, I, just an incredible story to me. He, he was in his apartment for the next 20 hours, took a shower, fell down, was disoriented, woke up the next morning, and, um, uh, and, I, and I apologize if I'm getting any of the details a little bit fuzzy here, to, uh, wakes up the next morning and, and uh, feels a lot of pain from what, what he's just done and, and takes a Tylenol. And he's going through his day, he's, you know, he's, he's expecting at any point he's gonna die and he, and, and he doesn't. And later that day, he sits back down on the couch in which he pulled the trigger and he has a phone in one hand and he has a gun in his other hand and he's deciding, should I try again or should I call 911? And he comes to the conclusion that he took Tylenol so that somewhere inside of himself that it wants to get better, and that he's going to call 911 and not pull the trigger again. And uh, you know, the ambulance comes and they take him, and you know, they save him. And you know, I guess by all accounts, this 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 this, this guy um, 
I was going through this on his own and and, and sort of struggling with, with depression and, and nobody knew, not his fiance, not his family, that he was going through this stuff and he was sort of putting on the show, putting on the face. And it's, you know, one, thank God he chose to dial 911 at that point in time. Um, fortunately, he didn't, didn't kill himself on the first time through and he, his family was able to be strong and get him some help, you know, and uh, um, I think we lose a lot of sight sometimes when we're, when we're thinking about sports guys, um, where, where, you know, we, we lose ourselves in the story and you sort of forget that there's a person on the under, on the other end of that story. And, and, and for this guy's sake, thank God, thank God he f made the right decision. Anyone who's been affected by this, uh, or, or who has seen it up close knows that, you know, it's, it's not a choice that somebody makes and it's tough sledding. Like, like it's, their brain is not working logically at that point in time. It is on some level, which is really makes the disease confusing, but it isn't on the most necessary level. The feel good part of the story is that he got help, right? He goes into training, takes care of himself and, and apparently got into great shape. You know, he has one eye, he has a prosthetic eye, and he's back in the, the San Francisco Giants minor league system playing, uh, he was recently signed, he's playing triple-A ball for Sacramento. And, you know, for me, number one, you know, a lot of credit to the Giants. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan now of, of, of the organization for, for, you know, taking the chance and, 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 and extending themselves, um, you know, showing a lot of class in a very, very difficult situation. But then two, we now have a guy who's in the minors, AAA ball club, with one eye. And, you know, everything else aside, what are your thoughts? Any chances that this guy is going to be successful? It's amazing he can even compete at that level. Right. I mean, we know that two eyes, that's how we function in terms of depth perception. Exactly. When you're talking about timing fastballs, and like... I guess fielding, you could kind of get away with it to some extent, but I mean, even even there is is a challenge. But I mean, you're even in the minor leagues, you're talking about taking breaking pitches, fastballs coming 90 plus miles an hour. Right. I, it's phenomenal that he's able to even make it. I mean, it's crazy. I think it's a credit to you know what he dedicated his life after the incident too i mean he, he decided that he was you know going to change his life and he probably put a ton of effort into training and for sure um you know i i don't think they're just kind of doing him a favor i, I think they probably see some some ability there still right. and um i mean he must be making it work right i mean and yeah. we've seen a lot of other athletes perform with disabilities i mean you kind of adapt to the surroundings yeah, um, abbott, i mean jim abbott arm. threw a no hitter right. Right? With, with, right with one arm exactly you know? right. incredible um guys adapting yeah i mean i i think he's probably i'm sure he had to make some changes to his game but um you know i it's an incredible story right you know and it, this is baseball right like like it, you know as as fine-tuned as can be and and you know when if you're if you're viewing something through one eye you've lost your depth perception right you need that's my question two is eyes. how hard can you work to overcome the lack of depth perception right it just seems can you it overcome just seems like that, that would be impossible obviously you can it's much more as i agree with you jason it's yeah. more of a testament to him than right. to the organization mm -hmm. I, they're oh, for a sure. financial institution at the yeah. end of the day they're looking out for their best interest they're not taking charity people on their right. roster you right. know and so he obviously worked his butt off getting back in there finding i don't know how you adapt to that honestly mm -hmm. but finding some way to adapt or 
whatever. Um, do you think that this, uh, um, in the end, that this this endeavor is going to be successful? Do you think this guy, again, he's playing AAA now. He just had a hit, uh, I think, on Saturday. Um, you know, do you think that this guy finds his way back into the majors, or do you? Do you what, what, was he in the majors? Uh, he did. Yeah, so he, he had, so he was, he had yeah. a few few stints in the majors, um, and I think it was with two or three different teams. I, my my impression is that he's kind of one of these before the injury one of these borderline guys that yeah. you know uh, they call him up when someone else gets injured but but he's not the best player on the field and he's right. gone back down it's so hard to say right in all my years of working in, in professional baseball uh, it's hard to say was this a successful endeavor because you know there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of minor league baseball players every year that never get that chance to play in the majors. Sure, now, that's I, right. I don't know if these minor league guys that never made it would say my career was unsuccessful. Right. Um, I mean, I think I'm going to say, yeah, it was successful. The fact that he's playing yeah. professional organized baseball again, no matter if he if he never steps on the field again for the Giants, if he's just a bench player, I mean, it's successful. Right. And he's overcome a, a huge thing in his life. You know? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean... If you took anybody who had two eyes, normal thing, and you said, what do you think, or is he going to make it to the mate? You know, we're talking about the same statistics, which are so small. Uh, Yeah, the chances are just not in your favor, unfortunately, no matter who you are. So is this guy going to beat those odds? I don't know, but I totally agree with you. I I think that he would have to consider this a success, no matter how the story ends, just to be there, just to be competing just to have turned his life around and and perhaps on top of that as like more of a broad picture thing maybe to even call some attention in that uh in that arena to mental health issues and uh and those kind of things which uh i don't know i think it's a good story for anybody who is battling these things you know just sort of see even at the lowest of lows i mean you have a bullet in your head you know and you can change that you can turn that back into professional baseball career you know competing at almost the highest level maybe the highest level we don't know i mean but it's pretty impressive the realist part of me would say that he's he's it's going to be very hard for him to, to to climb back into the majors um i love the story and 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 it's my impression it's my understanding that he has you know take on taken on the mission of educating people and, you know, doing additional things with his life, uh, you know, and trying to help in other ways for other people that may be, you know, kind of in a, in a tough place that he was in. Again, the realist in me would say it would be really difficult for him to make the majors, but man, the realist in me would also say that he has no chance of making it to where he is right now, and here he is, right? So, so you know, I, I hope that he keeps proving naysayers like me wrong it's, it's, I think it's a phenomenal story yeah. uh, I think it's very interesting and and yeah I guess I guess time will tell I'm sure we'll be following the, you know his career very closely now that we you know have a little bit of background on the story and obviously we wish him nothing but the best here right um, at sports medicine on tap uh, I think that's gonna about wrap things up for this evening before we go ahead and close out our tab uh, we want to thank our sponsors uh, reconstructive orthopedics with our focused on you approach taking care of all of your orthopedic needs the energy lab located here in Pittman New Jersey the premier sports performance destination neck of the woods brewing company for hosting us each and every week and last but not least our good friends at timber reel productions Joe Warner our on-site producer and Kyle Miller our editor 
Thanks a lot and have a great evening. Dr. Jennings, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was fun.